the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning, Cleveland, the best location in the nation, home to the smartest, toughest, most industrious, and best-looking people on earth. You're listening to the Bob France Show. Obviously, this is not Bob France. This is Pete Kersnow substituting for Bob on this Friday, May 24th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. Can't believe it's 2019. Sounds like we should be, you know flying around in uh, flying cars and stuff. Bob's attending his daughter's high school graduation, and once again, he's permitted me to sub for him, displaying a rare lapse in judgment for someone who is second to none as the best radio talk show host in America, with the possible exception. I'm going to give some props to Rush Limbaugh based on seniority, but other than that, I have to say we are blessed to have Bob France in this market. It's only 106 days until the Browns' first regular season game. It's only 114 days before the Monday night opener. And it's roughly, we still don't have the date yet, but it's roughly 720 days before we have the NFL draft hosted right here in Cleveland just a couple of months after the Browns' first Super Bowl win. Yeah, I'm a little optimistic. But why not? After 30 years of pessimism, this is the most excited I've been in an offseason. Well, maybe after the 94 season when we beat uh, New England in the one playoff game when Bill Belichick was still the coach here. But other than that, uh, the talent level is astonishing. But speaking of talent level, I'm really looking forward to hearing from you, the listeners, 
I know we've already got some callers holding already. We will only have one guest today so that we can have as many calls as we possibly can. The last time I was here, I must apologize, we had so many calls on hold that uh, we only were able to get to some and had to get to people quickly. So I want to get to as many people as we possibly can. At the bottom of this hour, we're going to have Roger Clegg of the Center for Equal Opportunity. I had him on as a guest once before. And those of you who know who Roger Clegg is, I've been on the Civil Rights Commission for a long time, but Roger is by far the smartest person when it comes to all manner of matters related to civil rights. Our telephone number, if you'd like to engage in the conversation today, is 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Again, 216-901-0945 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Please write those down and call in when you get a, an opportunity. We're on the cusp of Memorial Day, uh, the unofficial start of summer, but more important, the day we honor those who've sacrificed to make and keep our country the greatest nation in the history of the world. By the way, um, We are the greatest nation in the history of the world, despite the best efforts of the establishment. And by that, I mean almost every level of hierarchy in our various institutions, whether it be educational institutions, governmental institutions, cultural institutions. We have been on this jihad, for lack of a better term, over the last 30 to 40 years, whereby our elites tell us that we are racist, sexist, homophobics, we're awful, our history is one that we should be ashamed of. And my goodness, the United States is nothing but the font of all bad things that have happened in the world. I suspect if you are listening to this show, you might have a slight disagreement with that. For those of you who are unfamiliar with who I am, and by now I think there aren't that many of you since I've been on Bob's show for several years now. I'm Bob's regular Tuesday guest and have been for the last, I I can't remember how many years now. It's been a number of years. I'm also the host of the Now Report, heard several times daily on this very radio station and have done so for, again, at least at four or five years or so. I'm also a lawyer, longtime member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, the longest serving member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. I have said for a long time, if you've heard me on this show or on the Kirstenau Report, on the Tucker Carlson Show, or you name it, all the various shows I've appeared on, I have said that if you want to know what the left has in store for us, for America generally, you could find no better depiction of that than in any given Civil Rights Commission hearing. They try out all of their ideas, most of which are lunatic, at the Civil Rights Commission first, before they try to trot them out in legislation or publicly. They try them out about five, six, seven years ahead of time. And I have to tell you, we're in for much more lunacy, if you can even imagine that, than we're currently experiencing. I also, in my spare time, as many of you know, write political thrillers, and I hawk them shamelessly. Uh, Right now, we've got Target Omega, my first political thriller, and Second Strike just out in paperback, and upcoming is The Black Russian, which I'm really excited about. It is a lot of fun. They are very, very fast-paced. I'm very pleased that I've gotten a number of nice blurbs from people in the special operations community, 
and also some big-time authors who've liked it. But most importantly, I'm gratified when I get emails from people like you telling me that, uh, and I've gotten a number of them, and I, I, th- I would like to thank you all for saying that uh, you started the book at like 8 o'clock in the evening, and then the only criticism you have is that you weren't able to go to sleep and didn't finish the book until like midnight or noon the next, morning, the next uh, day. So, as I indicated, at the top of the hour, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to have Roger Clegg. And what we're going to be talking about, or at least I hope we talk about it, is this latest announcement from the College Board. That's the institution that administers the SATs, the gatekeepers for getting into college. They're going to come up with something called an adversity score. Now, Bob and I talked about this earlier in the week. I'm sure you've heard little things about it here or there. Um, I had a piece on National Review Online earlier this week about it. Now, take that back. It was last week about it, I think. And um, so Roger's going to talk about the ramifications of this adversity score. We may also address the Equality Act at some point. I'm not sure if we're going to have time to get to it. But... For the balance of the time, we're going to address almost anything you'd like to address. Uh, the first couple things I want to talk about are, as we know, the president to the apoplexy of the media and Democrats. But again, I repeat myself. He announced that he has ordered the declassification of the documents related to the so-called Russia probe. Uh, this is going to be entertainment of a high order. Much hilarity has been ensuing already. You may know that Adam Schiff, the Democratic member of Congress who actually now chairs the House Intelligence Committee, you probably know him as the leaker-in-chief for the last two years during the pendency of the Russia probe. He has been leaking like a sieve. Now, all of a sudden... After the president has directed the attorney general, after he redacts the appropriate information, vets them for purposes of making sure that intelligence sources and methods are not breached, to release all of the documents. It's going to be a huge dump related to the genesis of the Russia hoax. Well, now Adam Schiff and all the Democrats are spinning like tops saying, oh, no, no, no. We can't release this material. We cannot, this is irresponsible to release this material. The very people who would rush to microphones anywhere, I mean, the, the most dangerous place, they used to say the most dangerous place in Washington was the space between Chuck Schumer and a microphone. Never get in between those two. Well, Adam Schiff has supplanted by far Schumer, Pelosi, or any of these other media hounds in terms of getting to a microphone, and he did it, you know, just kind of casually would leak certain things here or there and be surprised that people would be upset about these things. Now, he doesn't think we need to know this. Now, remember this. Just a couple of days ago, the Democrats, in unison, and their media acolytes, all were shouting about cover-up. The president is covering things up. They never said what he was covering out. I mean, we just got the Mueller report, millions of dollars, scores of lawyers, FBI agents, subpoenas, everything in the world. They scoured everything, and they're saying the president is engaged in a cover-up. The president's engaged in a cover-up. Covering up what? We don't know. 
But now that the president says, let's just release everything, full transparency for the first time, this Russia hoax has been concluded. The investigation of the special counsel has been concluded. Release everything. And they say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. Cover that up. As I think it was Jim Treacher said that the entire enterprise of journalism is to make sure that they cover up everything with a pillow to make sure that it doesn't reflect badly on the Democratic Party. So. This is going to be released. One of the things that I found interesting, and maybe some of you have too, when announcing this release of documents, or at least the documents that have been determined that could be released because they would not compromise sources and methods or any other kind of intelligence protocols, I had assumed that these would relate principally to Department of Justice documents, maybe a few intelligence documents out of the executive branch, but Department of Justice documents related to the FBI, uh, the Department of Justice generally, about how the Russia probe began, how the entire matter of FISA warrants and spying on, yes, spying on the Carter Pages and the Papadopoulos, easy for you to say, of the world, How did that begin? But what was interesting is there were a number of other departments that were covered in the scope of this order with respect to the release of these documents. And one that caught my attention was the Department of Energy. What does that have to do with the Russia probe? Well, we have forgotten because the media, which has not released any kind of substantive information, revealed any kind of substantive information about anything, all they have is hysteria and having the same talking heads on. The media has been so focused on one thing that they have not covered the essential elements of a true Russia collusion matter, and that was Uranium One. So maybe that's what the Department of Energy is all about. But we're going to be getting to all those things in a moment. We're going to also get to your calls. We're going to have Roger Clegg at the bottom of the hour. We're going to have big-time fun. So hold on. As Sean Hannity likes to say all the time, uh, buckle up. I think that's, frankly, hyperbole. But you know what? Good fun. Good morning, Cleveland. Pete Kirstenau sitting in for Bob France on the Bob France Authority. We're going to have a great program. At the bottom of the hour, we have Roger Clegg of the Center for Equal Opportunity. He's going to be talking to us about adversity scores, possibly about the equality bill. Um, if you want to participate in the conversation, the phone numbers are 888-281-1110 or 216-901-0945. And I know that Sally wants to talk about the equality bill she's been holding. And we've got a few minutes before we get to Roger Clegg. So, Sally, are you there? Yes, I am. And thank you for putting that to our attention. Originally, Bob Franz uh, talked about it. And then I spoke with you a few weeks ago. And you uh, gave me a little more information. You said maybe there'd be some amendments. I'm guessing there probably weren't. Uh, so... I know that Jim Jordan, um, Congressman, he wasn't in favor of it, but the House passed it anyway. 
So my question is, what about the Senate? Uh, do you know what uh, Senator Portman's uh, position is on it and when that will be scheduled to come to a vote? Right. Uh, thanks very much for the question, Sally. I will tell you that I don't know about the calendar with respect to the Equality Bill. Uh, a little bit later today, I'm, I am going to be talking to uh, some members of Congress, so I'll try to get in for more information for you on that and report it next week when I'm Bob's show. And I have not talked with Senator Portman about it either, but I can say this generally, that based on all of the intelligence that I've gotten and what I've just seen in the media and just common sense tells me that this thing has absolutely no chance of passing in the Senate. The House, of course, the woke Democrats, all of whom are going over a cliff. Uh, the types of things that they are supporting these days could not even be imagined just a few years ago. This e- equality bill sounds good. That is, it, you know, we're all in favor of equality. We're all in favor of equal rights. We're all in favor of non-discrimination. But this goes far beyond. What's interesting here is you've got a remarkable coalition in opposition to this bill. You have traditional American conservatives, but you also have feminists who oppose this and are opposing this even more vigorously than many conservatives. Again, this is a misnomer when they call it the Equality Bill. This has significant adverse consequences to freedom of religion, but also with respect to feminists, just one aspect of this, because there are so many. And as I mentioned earlier on Bob's program, it's difficult to completely unpack all of the potential ramifications of this bill. We've been studying this at the Civil Rights Commission for several years. Some iteration of this bill has been around for, for quite some time. And even though we've been studying it for a while, the more we look at it, the more things that we see, at least potential ramifications things that will affect. But just one thing, one of the reasons why feminists, many feminists are in opposition to it, has to do with the fact that it would grant so-called non-discrimination rights to those who um, uh, express their gender in a specific way, a non-traditional way. Uh, That is, if you are a biological male, but you, you know, identify as a female, then you cannot be discriminated against by your employer, for example. And just casually, I mean, you can probably deduce from that if you express as something other than your um, biological sex and you can't be discriminated against, that gives you equal access to any kind of washroom that you choose to in your place of employment. Uh, that's just one minor thing, but also with respect to, and this is also a relatively minor thing, but it's stark. It brings home what the ramifications are. That is, that if you are a biological male, but identify as a female, then you could participate on your high school, college, who knows, it could be um, uh, Olympic uh, track team or sports team as a female. We've already seen, even though there's very few such instances so far, when it does happen, the biological male inevitably doesn't just dominate that particular sport or that particular event, those rare biological males who are, in fact, participating as females break world records. They win everything. It's not like they're just winning or just happening to do well. They're crushing records because most people get it, that there are differences between the sexes. And no matter how you want to elide that, no matter how you express it, the fact of the matter is males 
in general, are far superior in terms of athletic performance than females. There was uh, one instance, for example, and this is not humorous because this has real effects on females who want to participate in high school sports and then hope have the ability to participate at the college level, and they're getting beat by these, these boys who are identifying as females, and they don't have the same, meaning the females, don't have the same opportunity to obtain scholarships, uh, participate in these types of endeavors. This is something that I think a lot of people understand, but you take a look at our uh, you know, various soccer teams. There are national soccer teams, for example, women's soccer teams, that have won you know, international competitions, but when they play against, for example, a 10th grade, just average boys' soccer team, they get beat. And not by 3-2, to two, by 7-1. to one. There, There's just no way that this can be permitted to happen. Non-discrimination is not the same as, or equality is not the same as, sameness. So we're going to be going to the bottom of the hour. Sally, thanks so much for your call at the other side of the break. We're going to have Roger Clegg. We will continue this discussion and also address adversity scores. Good morning, Cleveland. You're listening to Bob France Authority. Pete Kirsten now substituting for Bob, who is very proud this morning because his daughter is graduating from high school, and she's going to be attending Hillsdale College in the fall, so I know he's ecstatic about that. We're ecstatic because we have, as our guest this hour or this half hour, Roger Clegg, who is of the Center for Equal Opportunity, the premier organization related to promoting equal treatment in this country, and not just the premier conservative organization. It's the premier organization. They've done remarkable work over the years, outstanding organization. But Roger is uh, the authority, the maven on all matters related to civil rights, uh, although I've spent nearly two decades on the Civil Rights Commission, whenever I have a question, some conundrum about the intersection of one civil right law with the other civil right law. I go to Obi Wan Kenobi, as we call him in Washington, the maven on civil rights. So we're going to talk a little bit about adversity scores. Roger, are you there? I am here, and uh, boy, uh, you know, I'm 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 going to send uh, that intro to my mother. She'll be so proud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you are you are extremely can't. You are extremely kind, Pete, and uh, right back at you. Well, uh, Roger, before we get into more substantive matters, one of the other talents that you have is you have a, an encyclopedic knowledge of some of the great classic movies of all time. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to test your knowledge. What two famous generals did George C. Scott play in two separate movies? Well, of course, everybody knows, um, you know, Patton. Uh, he played uh, you know, George Patton in the movie of that name, which I think was uh, one of uh, Richard Nixon's favorite movies, among others. Um, but uh, I bet that uh, fewer people know the answer to the second one. Uh, this is a fictional general, but uh, I know a, a man that, that you and I hold in uh, with, 
with great affection in our hearts, and that's uh, General Buck Turgidson. There you go. <laughs> in, uh, in, uh, in Dr. Strangelove, I think it was just on Turner Classic Movies not long ago, and uh, uh, he, he has some great lines in that uh, that movie, which I, I enjoy uh Using in all kinds of uh, in all kinds of contexts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what so. one of the great classics, <laughs> and I love so many lines in there. I know that on, there's only one reason why I'd want to serve in a cabinet under a president, and that's so I could utter the line, "Gentlemen, there's no fighting here. This is the war room." <laughs> so, Roger, yeah, right. <laughs> on to more serious things. Um, we had. An announcement last week that the college board, which administers the SAT, was going to begin calculating, or not begin, they've been doing it apparently, but was going to calculate what's known as adversity scores that were going to be a component, apparently, of whether a person might have the ability to get into college. In other words, uh, as we know that there's a verbal and a math score to the SAT, the combined score serves as a uh, guide for admissions officers as to whether a certain applicant might have the intellectual proficiency, the educational uh, acumen to uh, matriculate to that particular college based on their standards. Uh, but now we're going to have this adversity score. And I know you've looked at it, and I know you've written about it, and I was wondering, um, just kind of generally, what's your take on this adversity score? What do you think the purpose is behind this, and what do you think the ultimate conclusion is going to be when they begin implementing it, if they, in fact, go forward with it? Well, those are all, you know, really good questions. Um, you know, let me start by, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, and you are too, and, and, and probably, uh, um, you know, a lot of people wonder, you know, what impact this, you know, what the legal you know, effect of this might be. And, you know, as a lawyer, I have to say that I think this is of limited interest. Um, and the reason for that, and there are both good and re- bad reasons for that, the, the reason why it's of limited interest is that schools generally are pretty much free to take into account whatever they want, uh, except, of course, when it comes to race. And, of course, race is the sort of elephant in the room here, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, um you know, you, we can argue about whether this is a, a good idea or a bad idea, but as long as, you know, race is not rearing its ugly head, um, you know, then it's, it's pretty much up to the schools as a, as a as a legal matter. Now, some people have suggested, and I think there's evidence, that, you know, race is being, that this is supposed to be used as sort of an indirect measure or in, in, as sort of a proxy for race uh, as a way to facilitate you know, politically correct racial discrimination. But, of course, schools can already do that, you know, unfortunately. You know, the Supreme Court has said that uh, that's, that's legally permissible. So, you know, right now, schools don't need to have, uh, you know, they don't need to use uh, a proxy for race. Uh, they, they can use race. When the day comes, you know, the happy day that, you know, you and I are working for, Pete, where the Supreme Court says that, Schools cannot engage in racial discrimination, you know, politically incorrect or politically correct racial discrimination. Uh, then schools won't be able to use race directly. They won't be able to use it indirectly as a proxy, and they won't be able to use a middleman like the the SAT folks to do it either. So, you know, as a legal matter, I'm not sure that this really you know, 
matters too much. You asked about the uh, you know, the college board's um, motives in this, and you know it's hard to say. Um, you know, since we say in the anti discrimination biz, uh, it may have mixed motives. You know, some good and some bad. You know, part of it may be neither black nor white, but green. You know, a, a lot of schools are are dropping the the SAT, and, and one of the reasons they're dropping it, it is that um, it's keeping, it can sometimes keep them from getting the politically correct admissions numbers that it right. wants, that the schools want. And so this is something that the SAT, you know, as it peddles its product, can, can show to schools and say, you know, look, um, don't worry about those... Um, those, those um, you know, bad, uh, you know, numbers. And we've got this great new product that will give you, you know, free of charge along with the SAT that you can use to uh, make your numbers come out to be more politically correct. Um, I have to say that it's also, you know, I'm, I'm a charitable guy, uh, and there is, I think, something to the notion that, you know, you have two students, and they both have identical SAT scores. And, you know, one of them has gotten those SAT scores, you know, dodging bullets, you know, literally on the way to mm-hmm. school and, and even at home. Um, somebody else has had the finest tours, you know, that money can buy and all that. Um, and I think a school would be foolish if they're trying, you know, legitimately trying to choose the students with the most academic potential to ignore the fact that, well, you know, these school, these two students have identical scores, but look, this guy got his score uh, under really, you know, trying circumstances, and, you know, this other kid didn't, and so, of course, you know, we're going to give the edge to the, to the, to the student who, who had the, uh, the more trying circumstances. The trouble with that, though, Pete, is that makes perfect sense, but this new product, you know, this adversity index or, or whatever you want to call it uh, that the SAT has deliberately does not consider individual circumstances. What they're looking right. at is the, the demographics, you know, the, the, the crime data, the, the, the uh, you know, income level, uh, all that kind of stuff for the school as a whole that the, the student goes to, or for the neighborhood as a school uh, as a whole that the, that the student uh, goes to. And so, you know, if, if what it was really trying to do was to, to give admissions officials some kind of a, of a window into, you know, the actual individual diversity, uh, adversity that, that, that students were facing, this is kind of an odd way of, of going about it. Now, maybe they're doing that because, uh, taking this aggregate data is cheaper, you know, than having to do a, a, a student by student analysis. Maybe they're doing it because they think that it's less manipulable, um, you know. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's it's kind of a dubious product. And of course, you know, you've written eloquently and spoken eloquently about the problem of mismatch and you know whatever the SAT's motive. You know, once you start admitting students. You know, for good or bad reasons, uh, uh, who, whose academic qualifications are substantially less than, than the other students that they're going to be competing with, you know, you have this mismatch problem that hurts everybody. Um, and you also have, in addition, 
here is a sort of moral hazard of, you know, you, you're sort of giving an incentive for students, you know, for, for parents to, to, to stay on in, in bad schools, you know, bad high schools, uh, you know, dangerous high schools or schools that, and that might help their kid get into, in, in, into college. And that's sort of an odd thing, you know. Most appropriate description would be cynical because we've seen extent to which the various institutions give preferences on the basis of race, and these preferences are not small advantages as the Supreme versus Bonger, the, the Michigan cases, and then their progeny, the Fisher versus Texas cases. Race could missions process. It, it could only be a feather on the scale, and as Center for Equal Opportunity has pointed out... Morning, Cleveland. Pete Kersenow sitting in for Bob France on the Bob France Authority on this cusp of Memorial Day weekend. Beautiful day outside today, and it's going to be beautiful tomorrow. At least I think it is for a while while we have some thunderstorms coming in. Thanks to Roger Clegg talking about adversity scores that are going to be calculated by the college board, supposedly to augment the SAT. I am extremely skeptical, and I'm interested in hearing what TJ has to say from Cleveland about them. TJ, are you there? Yes, I am, Peter. Oh, you know, uh, speaking of Dr. Strangelove, Peter, best movie I think ever made. And my <laughs> favorite line in the movie was when George C. Scott referred to the uh, Russian ambassador as a commie punk. <laughs> <laughs> That's something you could apply to a lot of people there. Yes. But the reason I called, you know, with Memorial Day coming up, Peter, you know, this adversity thing, had they added just one thing on this, it would have sent the libtards running for the hills screaming. Returning combat vets would be given a vast amount of adversity points over anybody wow. else. Because you can't get more adverse than combat. Yeah, And exactly. I'm thinking even a dummy like me might get into Harvard someday. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what, Peter, I'd probably flunk out, but I'd have a hell of a good time before I flunked out. Well, I'm not so sure that you'd flunk out there, TJ. Um, you know, look, uh, I plead guilty to having gone to an Ivy League school. You know, my daughters went to my school to rehabilitate the family name. Then she went on to Harvard also. I am singularly unimpressed by many Ivy Leaguers. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you can find great students at any institution. But what we've got among our elites is this presumption. They have set up a certain type of standard that they think qualifies you for admission to the elite class. And unfortunately, as you just indicated, TJ, rarely do you see military service as one of those standards. And for all of us who've got family members in the military or who had been in the military, we know that if you want to look for any particular set of criteria that will tell you a lot about that person's character, their ability to get the job done, what they've been through, it in fact is service in the United States military. But beyond that... What I really, uh, it, it just drives me nuts, and I said it at the top of the hour, we have here on the cusp of Memorial Day a stratified elite in this country who for a long time have been denigrating the notion of America and American exceptionalism. They have been arguing for the removal of certain aspects of our history, taking down statues. There's a, there's a school that is going to cover up George Washington's picture. This is madness, and it is similar to the type of totalitarian approach we've seen from a number of regimes. If we learn from our history, we shouldn't be doing those kinds of things. You know, those who um, 
uh, don't remember history, are condemned to repeat it. But more importantly is this is something akin to what we shrank from in horror when the Taliban did it, when Stalin did it, when Mao did it. And I'm not saying that these people are akin to any of those, but that's the kind of slope we are going down. So, TJ, I am uh, in complete agreement with you. If they're going to be using criteria to determine whether or not somebody has overcome certain obstacles that others may not have had to, and it's an indication of whether or not somebody has the ability to succeed, the wherewithal to, you know, um, continue to hurdle over adversity. It is, in fact, military service. Uh, the, the, I'm sorry, go ahead, TJ. Yeah, and, and you know, Pete, the one thing that still sticks in my craw, you know, the left called us baby killers when we come home from, you know, Vietnam. And then I watched the last 40 years them kill more babies than any soldier in the history of this world. I mean, the hypocrisy on the left, uh, it just makes you sick to your stomach sometimes. And you're right. They don't like the military on the left. They don't like anything that represents America. We'll talk about that at uh, the top of the next hour. The lines are open. Please call in. TJ, thanks very much for your call. Thanks for your service. Happy Memorial Day to you, and at the other side of the hour, we're going to be talking about American exceptionalism. We're going to be talking about military service, and we're going to be talking about what the left has been doing to try to denigrate the greatness of America, the history of America, and all that makes America an exception. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flint. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.